0: Good afternoon, everybody. This is Father Larry Richards at Anchored in Hope, and we're so glad that you're here. Welcome. It's good to have you here this day. So, we have another day. We begin a new month of July, so we can focus. And why did God give us another day? Where will we find our hope this day, this month, this year, for the rest of our lives? It's all about focusing on Jesus and having hope. So again, what we do here is I'll answer questions and as I go back and forth answering questions, I'll go from my pile of emails and then those of you online can sit there on the side and put comments in that and live chat and uh, I'll be able to answer as many of you as I can get to, but I'm so glad you're here. And the first thing we got to do is pray. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we know that you're truly present, even when we're going crazy. We know that you never stop holding us. You never stop loving us. You're always in our lives. You give us your Holy Spirit that makes us strong, loving, and wise. Father, help us to always focus on you and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Help us to know that this world is passing away and that you are forever. Fill us with your Spirit that we may live your will because it's your will and that we may please you all the days of our life. Bless us, Father, and help us to do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mary, mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So I hope all everybody's well. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, middle of the summer, summer's the best time in all the world to come to Erie, Pennsylvania. So if anyone's in the area, if you come to Erie, uh, so please stop by my church saint joseph church bread of life community we have a great little community there a beautiful beautiful church it's over 150 years old it's a hand carved back altar you can uh, uh stop by and see it and get out and encourage everybody if you're going to be around october the first weekend of october first uh one two and three come to our october fest it's a great great time for the parish and for people to come. We have great food, great music, great uh, drinks, great everything. Uh, so I encourage you to come plan on it and then make sure it'd be an honor to meet you. So if you can, please come and we'll have a fine time together. So let's go and dive right in and we'll start as always with the questions. Okay, this month is dedicated to the precious blood of Jesus. It is, Lord, for the sake of his sorrowful passion. Yes, please, on all of us. Um, Hi, Father Larry. Hi, Myla. Why is it that Jesus tells those whom he healed not to tell anyone about their healing? It's called the messianic secret. And uh, it was big, so he didn't want people to come to him for what they did, for what he did for them. They wanted to come, he wanted people to come to him for his teaching. You know, it was interesting today, it has nothing to do, but it wants, he, too often people come to Jesus for him. I was on the uh, internet today, and there's a a group I follow, it's a clergy network, and it was interesting, because I really, I found this interesting. interesting quote that someone talked about spiritual narcissism you know and so just to, i'm going to read it for you i didn't re, uh, plan on doing this but it really it kind of fits into this what jesus doesn't want he doesn't want people to follow him for them he wants people to follow him for him to truly be disciples so it says here in greek mythology narcissus is the character who upon passing his reflection in the water became so enamored with himself that he devotes the rest of his life to his own reflection From this, we get our term narcissism, the preoccupation with self. The value of narcissism is the classic I, me, mine mentality that places personal pleasure and fulfillment at the forefront of our concerns. In so many places and in so many ways, a spiritual narcissism has invaded the Christian community. Eavesdrop for a moment on how some Christians talk or the kind of things they post online. Quote, I wanna feel where, I wanna go where I'm fed, not where we can learn to feed ourselves, much less feed others, unquote. Quote, I need to be ministered to, as if ministry in the life of Christian followers is something that happens to us instead of something we make happen through others. We, want, we walk out of worship service and say, quote, I didn't get anything out of it, as if the purpose is what we got out of it instead of what God got out of it, what we gave to God. We want, we, uh, a particular experience was engaged in the responses. That wasn't very moving. Instead of pondering whether God was moved by our engagement. Where did this come from? It wasn't from our leader, Jesus. He didn't talk that way. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for the many. Whoever wants to be the first among you must become the last. Whoever wants to be great among you must become the servant of all. Not my will, but yours be done. Yet a spiritual narcissism has invaded our thinking when the individual needs and the desires of the believer have become the center of attention. And as a result, the church has lost virtually all its missional energy and focus at least the mission entrusted to us by Jesus. And this was by a guy named James Emery White. And what that means is too many people go to church They go to communion, they go to adoration, all for them. You know, what can I get from God? Uh, I like this priest because he, he moves me. And so it's all about our experience of God. And one of the things I've said for years, if you go to mass and it was the greatest experience, and you had great intimacy and you were feeling like you were on fire and so drawn close to God, well, that was God's gift to you. But if you go to mass and it was boring and you think, what's going on here? I don't get it well, that's your gift to God. Mass is about worship. And so when people came to Jesus, sometimes they came to Jesus as a black hole, meaning they're trying to take everything he can give them. So after he heals them, he says, now don't go tell anybody because because of this thing, because then people are just going to keep coming to him for what they can do for him. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000. After that, he goes across the sea, and then all these people come running after him. He says, you're coming after me, not because the word I gave you, but because you ate your fill. When we follow Jesus, Jesus calls us to pick up our cross, deny our very self, and walk in his footsteps. So when we say, thy will be done, we're looking to do God's will. Somewhere in our walk with God, we listen only to him and not to ourselves. We become a slave of Jesus Christ. It could be through Mary, through Joseph, but we need to be a slave of Jesus Christ. And again, a slave does never focus on themselves. The slave has one person, purpose, to do the will of the master. So when Jesus tells people, don't go telling everybody. He's trying to get people to follow him for him not for the miracles, not for what they get. You know, I've been involved in the charismatic movement for many years, and in the beginning, I used to sit there and say we had people that were only in, into this stuff because they got spiritual charisms, or they got to pass out, or they got to speak in tongues. or they. And I just said, you're focused on the wrong thing. You don't focus on the gifts. You focused on the giver of the gifts. And what happens is too often we're focusing on the gifts and the miracles, instead of jesus when you and i follow jesus it'll cost us everything and that's why he does that it's called the messianic miracle you i mean messianic secret and if you want more detail and greater uh instruction on that just put into google the messianic secret and you'll get all kinds of great uh material on that and it's much more than what i just said just so you know okay We'll go now to one of the emails that came in. Is it okay to listen to the rosary while driving? Well, of course it is. The better thing is while you're listening to the rosary is make sure you're meditating on the mystery of that particular thing. Again, so if you're meditating on the the joyful mystery, you're there, you watch yourself. While you're driving, you can still think about, because we're always thinking about things every moment of every day, right? To be thinking about Mary giving birth to Jesus and holding Jesus in your arms or Jesus dying on the cross phenomenal thing you can do while you're driving, so yes, of course, okay, let's go on, hi, Father, why is it that Jesus tells those whom he, heal? okay, we read that. I'm sorry, sorry, Mila. that was a good question, sorry, <laughs> And again, let's go on. Is it possible to offer up our Eucharistic, our Eucharistic communion at mass for somebody else? It's very possible. I tell people to do that all the time. As a matter of fact, one of the things I used to give as a penance, if somebody or when somebody confesses and they're trying to think of things in their past and they were sexually active with different people. Well, I always tell them, if you had sex outside of marriage with somebody, you spiritually killed them. So you've got to bring healing to them. That's why people say, "We you know, I have sex because I love that person. Well, if you love them, you wouldn't kill them spiritually, correct? So I always say that when you repent of that, you should go to mass and offer up that mass for the soul that you killed so God can restore that. Now, again, when we talk about souls dying, every time you and I commit mortal sin, our soul dies. But God can give new life to that. So I don't want you to despair about this. That's not the point. I'm talking about bringing healing to people you have hurt spiritually because you hurt them spiritually. So you need to bring healing to them spiritually. So you can, when you go to Mass, offer up that Mass for them. You can say a Divine Mercy Chaplet for them and their intentions. You could have a Mass said for them. You know, so like some people said, well, Father, I've, had, I've done that with a lot of people. I said, well, good, go to a lot of Masses and each one for a different person. You know, again, what we want to do is Jesus brought the fullness of healing when he died on the cross, but he wants us to be the instruments of that healing in the way we bring uh, joy and peace and wholeness to the body of Christ. Like, again, if someone comes to me and they say, Father, I yelled at my wife, well, I can forgive them, but then I'm going to tell you, you have to go back and tell your wife you're sorry. You know, it isn't just going right to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me, without worrying about uh, how you hurt somebody else. You got to bring restitution. So again, if you steal a thousand dollars to confess, oh, I stole a thousand dollars. Well, that's not enough. You got to give back the thousand dollars. Sometimes we think that, you know, forgiveness is free. It's free. Never. It cost Jesus everything by dying on the cross, and we need to bring injustice, healing back to the body. We need to restore, if it's possible for us, the damage we have done, and we can do that spiritually. Like, let's say, again, you go back to that, because I don't want to open up this uh, Pandora's box, but you stole $1,000 20 years ago, and you repented of it. Well, you might not have $1,000 now, but you could give $20 a week to the poor, and make that up if that person, if you can't give it back to the person you took it from, or that person's past or it was from a store it no longer exists, you bring it back to uh, to bring it up back in justice to people that are poor. You can do it that way. But again, so we want to make restitution for the things we have done. But yes, great question. Of course, you can offer up your mass intention for somebody else. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Gina. When Jesus was poked with the sword while on the cross and blood and water flowed, what exactly does that mean? Oh, it's one of the greatest things. That's the birth of the church. First of all, physically, it means he's dead. Blood and water, when they come out together, it means that Jesus Christ was dead. But it also means the beginning of mercy. If, I don't know, if I guess I, I don't, can't believe I don't have divine mercy here. I need a divine mercy picture. Anyway, if it was... Um, If you ever look at the divine mercy picture, there's the red and the white uh, rays that come from the heart of Christ. Again, the moment he died and the moment his heart was pierced and the blood and water flowed out, that is the birth of mercy. You know, again, uh, I was going to call him saint, but not yet. Benedict XVI, in his wonderful encyclical, God is Love, he just says very simply, he says, you want to know what God what God is love means, look at the pierced heart of Jesus on the cross. That is God is love. That's what we mean when we say God is love, that his heart was pierced and he died for the sins of somebody else. That's why I don't buy these people that make God an ogre, that God's always ready to kill us. And, you know, uh, whatever I said in the last couple of weeks, someone from Poland said I saw your video and why don't you shut up father you know why do you support the pope why do you do this why don't you just shut up and tell the truth now of course they can say that to me because they're not close to me nobody well very few people would say that to me in my face because I have anger issues and it wouldn't be pretty I would show them a different reality of me But my biggest thing is the greatest truth is God is love. There is no greater truth taught in the Catholic faith. Period, comma, end of all paragraphs. This is the truth of the faith, the ultimate truth. The justice of God is found in the love of God. Everything is found in the pierced heart of Jesus. The church was born the moment his heart was pierced and blood and water flowed out. Most people are angry and judgmental of other people have never experienced the true love of God, have never washed themselves and experienced themselves with the blood and water of Christ pouring over them, washing them clean, proving that they are loved no matter their sins. When they repent, Jesus covers them with love. Again, people have said to me in the last couple years, Father, you're getting soft. I don't think I'm getting soft at all. I'm getting strong in other areas. But every time I've gone to God in all my years of praying, I've always experienced God as a loving father. Always. Even when he kicks my butt from one side of the chapel to the other, and he does. But because he loves me, there's never any Hatred in what God does to you, to me, to the world. Because God is love. God will let our sins come upon us. But he gives us what we want. And so we got to sit there and know that when we are filled with judgment, anger, and all these things, that comes back to us. That isn't of God, though. And we got to stop speaking in his name these horrible things that we say about other people. It's just not our place. And again, people say, well, Father, we gotta judge actions. Absolutely, are you kidding me? But we have compassion on the person as we're judging actions. No one's gonna pay any attention to you or me if all we tell them is they're no good. You can say this action of sin, you know what this sin does? It makes you a slave and God doesn't want you to be a slave. He sets you free at the blood of Jesus on the cross. You are a beloved son or a beloved daughter. You are better than this. That's why you should stop sinning. Not because you're going to hell forever. What is that? That stops people from sinning out of fear instead of out of love. God is love. And I don't care if that costs me my life to keep saying it. That's who God is. And that's what we gotta believe. And that's what we gotta preach and live. Okay, so, but thank you. Great question. Go back online here. Do 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 do. Here we go. July fourteenth, seven four, uh, 7 o'clock mass. Great. I think I, I'm going to be there all of July, so uh, it'll be good to have you. Okay, come visit Erie. Just finished reading. Not a fan. I'm in trouble. Need a reboot. How do I begin to get past the fear and doubt of falling in my failing in my faith again? I'm glad you read. Not a fan. That's a that's a kick in the butt, isn't it? Uh, And again, any book that can kick me in the butt now after being ordained 32 years and then all those years of theology is great. I love when I'm still challenged because I need to continue to grow. We can never be complacent in our faith. And so what you need to do to keep growing is you got to stop trying to control your spiritual life. If you're in control of your spiritual life, then you are the Lord of all your life. You got to surrender to the spirit of the living God and let the spirit of the living God take control of your heart and your life. That's what a disciple is. That God lives inside of us. And again, too many of us become pharisaical and we try to earn the salvation of God. We try to earn the love of God. We try to earn these things and we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And we get judgmental of everybody else because we hate ourselves. And when you hate yourself, that's not of God. It's of the evil one. There is nothing in you that God hates except sin. And you are not your sin unless you embrace that sin. And when you embrace it, God dies to set you free. God wants to set you free. He doesn't want you to be a slave. He wants you to be a beloved son or daughter. So again, the best way to grow and to knowledge that is the I tell people you gotta go to Mark chapter one verse eleven, Mark one one one. It's easy. Mark one one one, Mark one one one, and just keep reading. You are my beloved son, or you are my beloved daughter, or you are my son, or you are my daughter, whom I love and with whom I am pleased. And again, you just keep going back there. I say it all the time. I know some of you think I'm a broken record. But I say it so many times because 99% of the people I know have never experienced it. Even after I tell them, go do it until you get it. Even my spiritual directees, I say, I want you to go do this till you get it. And they'll do it a couple days and they get bored with it. And I, ah, I You keep going back until it transforms your life. Again, God's word has the power to change everything. We need to be people of great faith, not people of great doubt, not people of great fear but great faith. Remember, fear keeps us focused on ourselves. Faith keeps us focused on Jesus. We need to be focused on Jesus. Okay, great question. Here we go. Go to another one. Father uh, A is told to resign his pastoral duties for church Saint XYZ. Can he go somewhere else to start up a church, Saint ABC in a, car- a garage or storefront? Will he still be able to conduct mass? What if the group of the church's members wish him to do so? No, 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 and no. Because the priest only has his priesthood and the bishop. And so he must be under a bishop in in obedience to the bishop. If he does anything against the bishop when it's a just Uh, thing and there's reasons for it, and there's all kinds of warnings that have happened and everything else if he goes against it it's his pride and now it's sin and so even if him and his followers love that and he's saying mass against the uh, the bishop who has suspended him it would always be in sin and not only would he be in sin but all his followers would be in sin because they follow a priest instead of the church and we call that protestantism Martin Luther was a priest, he married a nun, and he had all kinds of people that followed him because they liked his theology, that's called Protestantism, so when a church does that, whether a liberal, whether a conservative, whatever, and he sets up his own thing, as soon as he does that, it's no longer Catholic, he separated himself from the bishop, he is now a Protestant. And so are all the people. And I love Protestants. I'm just telling you, this is just the way it is. The Protestant, a uh, Protestant means to protest. You got it? It means the protest against the church, against the teaching. And again, as they were talking, like, I believe the schism's coming. I have absolutely no doubt that a schism is coming. And the people that are going to leave the church are going to think that they are right. And this has been proven again and again and again and again in the church. But in the church, When they separate themselves, they'll be separated from the church. They might think they're 100% right, but once you have separated yourself from the church and Peter, who is the visible head of the church, the Pope, you are now in schism. And to separate yourself, your salvation is in danger because you think you know more, and that's a problem. And again, there are so many people in the church today, speakers, theologians, who think they know more, and the problem is, is their pride. Now, I say that as a man who's very prideful. You know, so it's not like, oh, Father Larry's very prideful. Father Larry is. But at least I think that with all my heart, I will never separate myself from the teaching of the faith, the te- putting myself under the authority of the Pope, and I trust God when Jesus says, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I trust Jesus in his word. I trust him with my life. And so we got to watch because I believe a schism is going to happen. And the problem is these people are going to think they're, they're the ones that are truly right. But if they separate themselves from the church and from the Pope, they have left the church and they are now Protestants. And more conservative Protestants, but still Protestants. So humility is the key humility is the key now someone else again might in a very good humble loving way will say father shut up only speak the truth i am speaking the truth and if you want to deal with me come see me one-on-one i have no problem but just know i'm not the most gentle of people just so you know people can say all kinds of things as cowards behind on writing things here but say it to me and let's talk and then we'll can sit there and talk but this is the reality of the truth and again I will speak the truth with love and I will not back down, period. So you stay in the faith of the church. You stay under the authority of the Pope. If you do not, your salvation can be lost forever and ever and ever. Do you understand? So I'm telling you this as strongly as I can tell you. You do not know more. You cannot follow certain people because you agree with them. Because when you do, you make all of Christianity and all of Catholicism make the way you think. You got to go back to what Jesus thinks. That's when people say this. I say, do you read the Bible? Have you had a clue what Jesus says? What does Jesus say to be his follower? What does he say? Not what does the saint say? Not just what this person say. What does Jesus say? Because he's the one that will judge you and me nobody else and so when jesus says the only thing jesus says you're going to go to hell for well paul and that says other things but again jesus says i was hungry and he gave me food or get out of my sight you condemned to the everlasting fire to uh, prepared for the devil and his angels because i was hungry and he gave me no food and all these people when they're talking they're not even talking about do you live a life taking care of others taking care of the poor but jesus who is god says this is why you go to hell period. That's what Jesus says. And he is the judge of the living and the dead. And you and I will stand before that man, that God, and he will judge us on what he said. I was hungry and he gave me food. I was thirsty and he gave me drink. So do we who say we're followers of Jesus consistently do that? If not, again, we have to worry about our salvation because the master told us how he will judge us and the master must be obeyed and we must do things his way and not our way. So it's very important. We're praying, we're listening and we're reading the holy word of God because that's how God speaks to us, okay? Just again, I know I get a little crazy and but I want, the reason I get crazy sometimes is because I wanted to make sure it enters into you, you know? I want uh, I want it to make sure that it shocks you for a moment and think, I think he's nuts. And you would be correct. But I want it to stay in. So like, again, when I do a mission, I always tell people every night, I say, I always promise you, every one of you will probably get mad at me at least once a night because of something I said. But at least that way, when you're in bed tonight and you're praying for my death, you're still thinking about what I said now, aren't you? And that's what I do this type stuff for, to get you to think. To get you there, we all have to get out of what we perceive truth to be so truth can speak to us as it is. And again, too often we just, we like things our way and we just agree with people who see things our way instead of seeing things God's way. And that's why we're constantly our daily repentance, daily repentance, daily repentance. And okay, so that's what we all got to be doing. Okay, thank you. So, Let's just go to the next one. I'm sorry. Do you have any suggestions for struggling with jealousy? I have tried focusing on gratitude, but I feel so awful that sometimes I become focused on what others have. And again, the best thing to do when you're getting like that is just thank God that he has blessed them like that. And so instead of just like having gratitude for yourself and all the things he's blessed you with, think about because they're your brothers and sisters. And so because they're your brothers and sisters, you should rejoice With those who rejoice and rejoice in what they have and always know that God loves you so much that he always gives you what you need he'll always protect you if you put yourself under his will he won't do it if you don't put yourself under his will you got to surrender yourself to him because if you're the Lord of your own life then he's going to let you run your own life and get all the things you want from you but not from him, so that's why it's so important that we constantly surrender our hearts, our lives, and our wills to the will of God each day, okay, so here someone wrote to me, now again, when you, the best thing to do is email me questions through the foundation, there's a link there, if you're going to do that, if you, if you do, if you try to email me personally, which people do, I'll never respond to that email because I get too many of them. And it just, when I wake up and I have all these different things going on, I'm a pastor, I'm on the road, I'm on the radio, I'm on uh, all these different things. I'm I'm trying to do 100,000 things. The people outside of my parish, I just can't respond individually to them. I just can't. That would be my whole life every day. And my main focus is my parish. It's like these things that I go out of my way, but again, You'll probably never get a response from me if you try to email me uh, personally because I have so many. And before I go to bed at night, all those get deleted if I didn't get to them in the day. And so I just try to do that. So some people keep sending me back, Father. Did you get my last email, Father? Did you get my last email? I got it, I'm sure, but I didn't have a chance to look at it. So that's part of the reality. So. I listened to your podcast this morning. Thank you. This is from Tom. And you repeated the thing you have touched on time and time again, that God lives inside of us. You said it five times. Of course I did. I'll hopefully say it more because he does. This is a great realization, but unfortunately created for me a puzzling and troubling question. If God lives inside of me already, why attend Mass or more to the point, receive Holy Communion? I hope this question has not come across as silly. Of course it's not silly because I'm deadly earnest and troubled by what seems to be a monumental monumental issue. If the beauty and uniqueness of the Catholic faith lies in the ability to receive the body of Christ, how are we special or any different from any other faith if God lives inside of us already? Well, You're alive right now, right, but you still eat dinner every day, correct? Why? Because the food you eat today becomes part of you and continues to keep you alive. The same when you eat spiritually the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Though God is inside of you, he grows, if you will, when you receive him physically. And because we're human beings, we need external things to help us to stay focused in his presence. You know, I need to go into the adoration chapel or I need to be in my um, in front of the blessed sacrament. It helps me to focus that Jesus is there. I'm also very well aware that Jesus lives inside of me. So to try to do these two things at the same time, that God is there and the more I can focus on God is there and then know that God is also within me, it just helps me to focus. And again, We, like I receive Jesus every day, of course, as a priest. Why? So that he may increase and I may decrease. That he may increase and I may decrease. So though Jesus lives inside of me, though the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of me, I still need to receive him daily because that he can grow more and I can grow less. I hope that helps. Okay. Next. Do do do. Hi, hi, Chris. Uh, if I were coming in Buffalo in a few hours, will you be away? By the way, hi, <laughs> Chris and Walker. Good job. Hi, Judith. Let's see here. I honestly don't get confession. A mortal sin is to one person is a venial sin to another. The person who yelled at his wife in the previous carment was that a mortal, venial, or both? Again, first of all, confession comes because. Jesus says, uh, well, let's go back to James first. It says, confess your sins to one another that you may find healing. Jesus says in John's gospel, he breathed on them after the resurrection. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Those who sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Those who sins, you hold bound or held bound. Then he sat there in the early church. They always had the power to forgive sins. And at first it was a communal confession because what you got to understand about sin is sin is never private. It's personal but it's not private. Every time you and I sin, we not only hurt our relationship with Christ, we hurt our relationship with the whole body of Christ. So if I come up to you and I step on your foot or I hit your foot with a hammer, not only does your foot hurt, but your whole body hurts, correct? And so when a person sins because of the analogy of the body of Christ, as Paul says, we are the body of Christ, every one of us is a member of it, the whole body hurts when one member sins. And so we gotta bring healing, not only between us and Jesus, who is the head of the body, but the whole body. And the church represents both Jesus and the rest of the brothers and sisters. So, I mean, the the priest represents both Jesus and the rest of the brothers and sisters. So that's why we gotta go and go to confession to a priest to bring healing to the body, okay? And God did that so that we could hear your sins are forgiven, and not just here in our heart, but here every sacrament makes real what's happening spiritually, but the difference, you know, when you say that to one person a mortal sin is different to another person's venial sin, that's because neither of them have sense about what the teaching of the church is, the church is very clear about what a mortal sin is, and what a venial sin is, a mortal sin is serious matter, serious matter is you kill somebody you steal lots of money you have an abortion you help someone have an abortion missing mass on sunday getting drunk on purpose uh hurting somebody physically uh hurting someone emotionally too if that's the uh if that's something hurting someone sexually having sex outside of marriage um uh, looking at pornography so that's be serious now that's the first thing so the first thing has to be serious matter stealing a pen would not be serious matter yelling at your wife could be serious matter if you if you made her cry and really hurt her or different things but normally if it's just a spat between spouses we might have these debates all these fights all the time it would still be venially sinful but it wouldn't be mortally sinful if you smacked your wife or hit your wife that would be mortally sinful the serious matter objectively we have to find out to the next two parts you need all three parts to commit mortal sin first part serious matter second part full knowledge. What that means is you know that this, if you do this, it's a mortal sin. Like Teresa Avila says, no one goes to hell without knowing they're going to hell. So if you don't know a sin is a sin, then it can't be mortal sin for you because ignorance of the law when it comes to God is an excuse like let's say you were never brought up Catholic and you're having sex outside of marriage or brought up Christian and you're having sex outside of marriage. No one ever told you that was wrong. It would, not, it would still be serious sin objectively because a uh, uh, sexual act outside of marriage is always seriously sinful. But it wouldn't be mortally sinful for you because you never knew that. Nobody told you that. So you can't commit a mortal sin without knowing it's a mortal sin. So in the thing about the yelling at your wife, if you didn't know it was a mortal sin, I mean, in your heart of hearts, then it's not objectively a mortal sin, but it would still be seriously sinful. Understand the difference. Sinful is something objective. Seriously. Serious is something objective. But when it comes to a mortal, that means a subjective reality is do you know it? So the first thing is it's it's wrong seriously wrong, serious matter. You have full knowledge. You know that. You know, the kids used to tell me when I used to teach uh, at the high school, I'd say, having sex outside of marriage is a mortal sin. Now you know it. So you have no excuse. And they say, Father, why do you tell us these things? I know it's because I love you. So first, it's serious. Second, you know it's serious. Third thing is as full consent of the will. That means it's wrong. You know it's wrong. And those two things completely known, you decide, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Full consent of the will. So if all three of those things are present, so what what stops consent? Full consent of the will, what could stop that is being drunk if you didn't get drunk on purpose because getting drunk on purpose would be mortally sinful. But you had a few and now you're you're losing, um, you don't have full consent. Uh, Someone spikes your punch. You didn't know. Okay, so that would be not full consent. If something's habitual, like if you've tried to stop this again and again and again, and you want to stop it with all your heart, but you keep falling into it, that would make things habitual. And if something's a habit, then it, it's not full consent of the will. I always tell people the best way to know that is if Jesus would come to you now and say, I will take this away from you forever. Will you let me? And if the answer is yes, Jesus, I never want to offend you again in my life. Well, God will give you mercy, because what you want is his will. But some people, they don't care. You know, like I'm not going to stop having sex with my girlfriend. Yeah, I don't care if it's mortally sinful. I want to do it, and I'm going to do it. If those three things are present, it's mortally sinful, and that means that you have now separated yourself from God. That doesn't mean God has stopped loving you. It means you've put a block between you and God. Like I say, if the sun is shining today and I put an umbrella up over my head, then it stops the sun from reaching me. The sun isn't stopped shining, but I blocked it. When you and I have committed mortal sins, we block the love of God in our lives. Now, a best place to do that is uh, how can you tell? I mean, so some people love to say, well, Father, where do we get the difference between mortal sin and venial sin? And again, it's in John's, one of the letters of John. And it says, if, uh, uh, you know, if someone has sinned, you should pray for them. And then it says, um, you should pray for them. And if the, okay, I'm just trying to find it here very fast. But pray for people who are in sin, and if, uh, if they're, God will hear you, but you shouldn't pray for people with serious sin because there are differences between mortal sin and venial sins. Again, you can put it in Google, different, in Scripture, mortal sin, serious sin, Of serious sin and venial sin. It's right from the Scripture. There are some sins that kill and some sins that do not kill. So hopefully, if you know the teaching of the church, that's going to help you in that regard. But it's a great question. Thank you for asking it. Okay, in our Louisville Archdiocese newspaper this week, a question was asked if one is not guilty of any mortal sin, was it necessary for them to go to confession as they had not been to confession over 50 years? The priest answered that no, they were fine as long as they had not committed no serious sin. I thought we were required to go to confession at least once a year regardless of the seriousness of sin. The teaching of the church is you must confess mortal sins once a year. So objectively, if you don't have mortal sins, then... um, You would not have to go to confession. I like the practice of telling people to go against their vanity and their pride that they should go to confession once a month. Now, if someone says that they haven't been in confession in 50 years because they have no mortal sins, I would then challenge them on that because I would just say, so did you miss any masses in 50 years? Maybe once, 49 years ago? Well, well, maybe once that's mortally sinful, and you've been living in mortal sin for 50 years. So when people say those things, that I, I haven't committed a mortal sin in 50 years. Trust me, I can't, people, when they come in and spend a month, I can get them to usually, I get them into a mortal sin somewhere and talk about, you know, how do you live your life? And I'll just say, you know, the most serious sins before God are sins of omission, right? Again, go back to 20, Matthew 25. Rarely Excuse me, do we confess these sins? And yet those should be the first sins we confess. Not the sins of commission. I had a dirty thought. I had a sexual sin or whatever, but I didn't take care of the poor. I didn't reach out in love. I let other people uh, die of loneliness when I could have done something. Again, whatever we fail to do, the least of our brothers or sisters, we fail to do to Jesus Christ. Sins of omission, according to Jesus, is what sends us to hell forever. And yet... Now again, it's, the other ones do too. Paul's very clear, no fornicator went the kingdom of heaven. That's sex before marriage. So I'm not saying to dismiss those, but Jesus didn't say that explicitly. Jesus did say explicitly that if you don't take care of the poor, get out of my sight, you're condemned. So we got to make sure we're listening to the King of Kings because I think what the devil does is he keeps us focused on all these other things. So we're not focusing on what Jesus truly says or we're picking and choosing. We got to... We got to make sure we're listening to all the gospel, all the scriptures, and we put them all in context of one another. We got to make sure we're doing that because again, some people just pick on, focus on certain things that they agree with and we got, like I said before, we can't be doing that, okay? So let's go on here. But again, good question. So the priest was right with the way he answered that. Hi, Jacob Wilson. Hi, Father. I'm a seminary in the Diocese of Columbus, Ohio. I was just in columbus ohio with the with our cmla we had a fine time there and i was at legatus just a month ago i love columbus you have a great great bishop there i got to meet him and spend some time with him that last friday so i was very impressed good good man i'm currently currently at ohio state earning a business degree still in formation we've been so oh thank you um Thanks that I, I I didn't read that, but that was, I usually ignore (laughs) it. don't say those things, but thank you. The best I can tell you, Jacob, is make sure you pray. Pray, 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 pray. I always tell when I'm doing a seminary retreat, I say, listen, if you're not praying every day, You got to leave seminary. If you're a priest, I tell priests, if you're not praying every day, I mean listening to God, in relationship with God, you need to leave priesthood because there's nothing worse in the world than a priest that doesn't pray. It's like somebody who's demonic. And again, when I was in Rome at my sabbatical, I was meeting, and I said, somehow there got to be a, the, the number one requirement for me, if somebody was to be ordained a priest, like if I was a bishop, the number one requirement I would say is every seminary would have to come before me before they got ordained and have to tell me about the relationship with Jesus Christ. And if they weren't in committed daily holy hours every day, not just saying their bravery and saying the rosary and saying the divine mercy it, because that's all things you do. You can do all of those things I just said and still be an atheist. But you need to be listening to God. Like what? Tell me about your experience of God holding you, of God loving you, of your experience of the lordship of Jesus, of your experience of the power and the love of God in your life. Because it's from there that you then minister. So Jacob, all my listeners that are here, they're gonna pray for you. Stay faithful, go under formation and be a good and holy priest. Hopefully next time on Columbus, make sure you come and see me and introduce yourself to me. It'd be an honor to meet you, Jacob. Pray for me, please, when you're praying. Thank you. Okay, we go back to here. I am saddened when I attend mass and see husbands and fathers who worship by themselves without their wives and children. I pray each day for them. What can I do to them without being judgmental? Sometimes they go because if they have younger children, uh, you know, uh, they're usually, I I know a lot of families in my parish, they take turns um, so They'll stay home with the kids because they're young and they're sleeping or whatever, sick. So one will stay home and then the other one will go and then the other one goes and they switch off. So they both get to go to Mass, uh, but they don't bring the sick kids or anything to the church. I think that often when it comes to judging, I judge people a lot. I don't want to, it's part of it. I, I think in my heart and in my head, you know, constantly that happens. And then I find out 98% of the time that what I judged about somebody else was wrong. You ever thought of they ever done that? <laughs> I can't tell you how often I do that. And um, so sometimes we don't know the struggle people are going through. And sometimes we just have to ask the Lord, Lord, let me see that man or that woman or whatever with your heart. Let me love them with your heart. Because God, you know, again, we don't know the struggles people have. And everybody has struggles. You know, I have struggles. You have struggles. The people we judge have struggles. And again, often they just don't know. You know, bullies usually are bullies because they've never experienced love. And so they take out their hurt and their anger in other people. People, when they come to church, again, Sometimes come out of the right reason, sometimes not. Sometimes come out of fear. Sometimes come to get what God, so God can give them something so they can be uh, in his will. But we just don't know. So again, just ask, whenever you're judging anybody, Lord, give me your heart to love that person. Lord, give me your heart to see that person as you see them. And again, the way God sees us is so different than we see each other. So different, and so we need God's eyes and God's heart. So that'll help you if, uh, well, hopefully it'll help you. (laughs) It helps me, so, okay. Okay, da-da-da-da-da. Jamie asks, can you have a Mass said for someone who was not Catholic? Of course you can. I do it all the time. I've said funeral Masses for those who aren't Catholic. And again, God's salvation is open to everyone everyone. So just like you can pray for anyone, the mass is the most perfect prayer. So do it. You of course say mass for everyone. Okay, Chris Ford asks, did the church just write off rural, rural rural areas? What I mean is it seems in our area in Kentucky we only are getting priests from India who no one can understand. I decided to shop for a new parish and went to five masses in one week at three different local, but some small parishes when the 45 miles from home all had priests from India. I'm not joking. All three in confession, I could read off baseball box scores and I could get absolution. I appreciate that at least we have the sacraments, but how about large parishes share one or two of the English speaking priests? Well, again, I was just in Cincinnati. I think yeah, Cincinnati did a parish mission. Very large parish. I think it was 4,000 families. Both priests there were from India. Fantastic priests. A priest is in the person of Jesus Christ, So whether they're from India, uh, Nigeria, uh, Ireland, England, whatever. That's Jesus, no matter who it is. The problem right now in the church in America is we're slowly becoming a mission church. So some dioceses, I was just talking to a bishop the other day in a diocese in Pennsylvania, and they actually have more priests from another country than they do... American priests, because there's so few vocations. So the biggest thing you need to do is be praying for vocations. We need vocations more than anything right now, and we need vocations of people who are in love with Jesus Christ. Not just in love with the ritual, sometimes there's great ones in love with the ritual, but they're not in love with Jesus. So pray for vocations. We're not dismissing rural people, rural parishes. We just don't have the priests throughout the United States and our own diocese. We don't have right now, we don't have any foreign priests in our diocese, but that's not going to last much longer because all of us are getting older and we're going to retire and die, and there's no one coming behind us. Very few. I think we're going to have two ordinations this year, maybe three So we might lose six this year. So we need to have an influx of vocations. And people talk about, oh, this diocese has great vocations. There are some that have blessed with great vocations. And you can argue about why. And it's just, vocation is from God's grace, not external worship. It's from God's grace. So we got to keep encouraging people to become priests and to uh, pray for them. Okay, so let's go on. hi fathers from kevin from new hampshire could you talk on the crowns of heaven when i meditate on the various crowns it gives me great peace i don't know uh, anything about the crowns of heaven kevin sorry uh, i don't as far as i know it's not a scriptural thing it might be a thing from uh a teaching of one of the saints or anything but again i've been ordained 32 years and i've been in a seminary since i was 17 and i'm 61 and i have never heard of it i'm sorry so uh but if it's a good thing it gives you peace as long as the teaching of the church and as long as as the imperator imperator then go for it that's a great thing but now i'm gonna have to look it up because i have no idea what it is okay so Let's go back here because there's not many more questions over there. And we only got 10 minutes. Okay, so I already did that one. Okay, this one comes from Tim Kearns. And it says, is it required that we believe in Mary apparitions? Uh, uh, The church says, no, you do not have to. I believe in them, of course, because uh, all the the power and the fruit of these uh, apparitions have happened. But the church says the only thing necessary is to believe in the gospel and what the church teaches. It's the teaching of the church. That's why when people sit there and say something like, well, who should I believe, uh, this saint or the pope? The pope. I mean, there's not even a question. Not even a question. I mean, saints were wrong. Well, what if this apparition says this? The apparitions, to be real, have to all be in agreement with the teaching of the church because it's the church that says, because people can have apparitions that are demonic, correct? You know, that's why you have to always wait till an apparition is uh, verified by the church. This it means it's okay. And then it says you do not have to believe in it, but it's okay to believe in it. And so that's a very big difference. So some people think you're not Catholic unless you believe in all the apparitions and that's just not the teaching of the church. Like I say, I believe in all the apparitions or most of them, uh, the ones I know about anyway, uh, the ones I've read and the ones I've thought through and each of them give a different side that uh, can be followed uh, and different image or insights from our, our mother. But the church has always taught everything that is necessary for salvation is contained in the teaching of the church everything else is good, it's helpful, but it isn't necessary for salvation, okay, I hope that helps, so no more, I got all the questions today, that's pretty good, okay, so let's, oh, I got to get out of here anyway, uh, I got a very busy night, so tonight at 7 p.m., those who are watching, the first thursday of every month from 7 to 8 p.m we have for my parish praise and worship so it's just a time to praise and worship almighty god and then it's followed by pints with pottery but that's no longer uh, public it's just for my parish we have a new assistant now father ian mackarath who's only 29 years old been ordained for three years and i don't even know what to do with a full-time assistant now and so we're very blessed he's a great great man um it's a great honor to have him at our parish and so um but again i'm just trying to let him ease in he's also going to be saying the latin mass every other week and be very involved in the latin community in the erie diocese and he's also going to be teaching at one of our high schools so he has a lot on his plate so we're letting him go slowly as he comes in but again tonight will be the time for parishioners to get to know him to meet him a little bit but again This is when we do our pints with Padre, if you will, anchored in hope uh, for everybody else. But uh, tonight, you're most welcome to come and to join us in praise and worship of Jesus in the Most Blessed Sacrament at 7 p.m. Eastern, and you'll get to see, uh, if you've never seen my church, you'll have a great chance to see the back altar, but more so, you'll get to see Jesus Christ in the Most Blessed Sacrament. So again, I want you to know I'm praying for you, that I love you, and I ask you to please pray for me that I always stay faithful to God and faithful to his church, and I only speak what the teaching of the church is. Okay? The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you, he who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a blessed week. We'll see you next week, God willing.